Thank you so much, choir. That was absolutely beautiful. What a great day to be at First Baptist Church, especially considering the story I have in store for you. Now, help me finish the following sentence, probably something that your parents, like mine, told you when you were a child. Don't ever play with... Did any of you ever listen? No, of course not. You were just like me. As soon as you were told never play with matches, the next thing you did was to play with matches. Now, I know that some of us have grown out of our pyromaniac days. Others of us have not, Bo Lucky. But I will say that all of these evidences have a story to them. I, I can't help but think of Sunday school in fourth grade when my dear friend and next door neighbor Kevin Alexander was right to my left. And he, for some reason or another, had crafted a house made out of popsicle sticks and a hot glue gun. And Kevin, in his prophetic voice, said, when I get home, I'm going to burn it. Well, the afternoon was already set. I mean, we needed no other entertainment. It was only a question of where to set fire to Kevin's popsicle house. Because, you see, my parents had told me specifically, I don't ever want to see you playing with matches. And if I ever see you playing with matches and Kevin Alexander, it's going to be over for you, Hughes. You get me? So, as Kevin and I gathered that afternoon, we began to try to create the perfect place where we could be uncaught while also getting to set fire to his popsicle stick house. We thought about the woods and no, there was still a chance that someone might see. Thought his backyard and that was way too obvious. And then I had the best idea ever. I said, Kevin, let's set fire to this underneath your house. Because nobody is down there and they'll never see it. He said, that's a great idea, David. Kevin Alexander's house had about a four and a half foot crawl space. It was plenty tall for us and there was nobody underneath there besides us. So as we went down there, Kevin brought a can of lighter fluid and doused it thoroughly and set fire to it promptly. But then something happened that we did not expect. The flames shot up and began to lap, I kid you not, the insulation that was right underneath the floorboard. We knew we were in trouble, and so I said, Kevin, I'm going to go get water. And as I took off and rounded the corner to the hose pipe, I ran into his dad, Jim Alexander, who to me was seven feet tall. Jim looked at me and said the following, David, what did you do? And I said, Mr. Alexander, it's a terrible story. We started a fire underneath the house. Now I'm trying to put it out. Come quick. So as we rounded the corner back around to the crawl space, there was Kevin Alexander having learned that he could stamp it out himself. I'll never forget when his dad told me next. He said, David, you go home. And so I did at the speed of light. I took off home, and I awaited what I knew would be the dreaded phone call to my house. 
A phone call which Jim Alexander would use to tell my father what I had done. Now, folks, in the moments leading up to that phone call, I prayed. (laughs) But I don't think I necessarily prayed correctly. Uh, My prayer went something like this. Oh, God, I screwed up, and my dad's going to kill me. Now, I think in that sentence of a fourth grader, there probably stands as a reflection of how many of us pray or the reason why many of us don't, which is why Jesus, when asked, how should we pray by his disciples, gave them a template wherein they, from all walks of life, could come to a singular God who was depicted as a father. Now, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said the following. He said that a prayer that begins with our father is a feierzeig, my best attempt at German, for lighter to prayer. Martin Luther said that any prayer that began with the words, Our Father, or My Heavenly Father, would ignite the heart of not only ourselves, but moreover God, so that we would have a moment of connection with ourselves being the creation, to God being the creator, and we would know that our prayer life can consist of more than, My God, I screwed up. My dad is going to kill me. Jesus is talking to real people, people just like you, who want to know how and when and where to connect with God. For deep within their own hearts, they realize that prayer needs to be something that is said more than just from rote memory or from a sense of deep guilt. No, prayer has to be an authentic conversation with a God who says that he already knows what we're going to say before it leaves our lips. Jesus is trying to inspire within us a conversation with God that leads the course of our life and is truly the fulfillment of the hymn that you all just sang. Not only do I need you every hour, but that I can find you every single hour. It was said by one pastor that a prayer that begins with the words, Our Father is like a letter that is correctly addressed. It has the appropriate name. It has the appropriate title. It has the appropriate location. And in that, it prevents you and I from just merely worrying out loud, creating a to-do list, ticking off the things of life that we don't like or that we find challenging. What it does instead is it gives us the ability to know who we are praying to. And that's the whole point of this sermon, entitled Our Father, the first of five in this sermon series entitled Teach Us to Pray. The point of this sermon is for you and I 
to know who we are praying to. And if we can wrestle and grasp that very central concept, we will be on our way to having a prayer life that is an ongoing conversation with a God in heaven who desires to care for us, his children, just like a father. So I'm going to give you two questions now that I want us to answer throughout this sermon, and then hopefully you will apply in the days that follow this week so that your prayer life can feel so inspired. Here are the questions, and please write them down. Question number one, where's your inner room? Where's your inner room? That's the first question. The second question is the following. How would you talk to God if he was the heavenly father that you both wanted and needed? How would you talk to God if he was the heavenly father that you both wanted and needed? Let's talk first about that first question. Where's your inner room? For before Jesus ever begins to say, this is what you should say to God, he tells you where you can find God. And the place Jesus says that you and I can find God is in the inner room. Now, let me go with you for a little bit. And let's imagine that we're going to your house. You didn't know that the preacher was coming. And while I would never do this to any of you, I showed up unannounced. Just wanting to sit down for a freely, free, friendly visit. And, and not only that... Preacher wanted to get to know your house. And the first place that I went and wanted to see with all of my heart, with a burning desire, was your closet. Now, how many of you would want to run for the hills in embarrassment? How many of you would say, no, stop, please. You can see anything else in the house that you would like, but please do not go in to my closet. I think it's true for most of us that the closet is the most disorganized space in our houses. It's a place where we put the stuff that we want to give away but don't yet have the heart to. It's the things that we put in there that we probably don't want anyone else to see, but perhaps there's some of our guilty pleasures in life. Maybe it's even the stuff that... Um, you might drink on occasion, but you don't want anybody else to know about it because it's known as fire water or devil's nectar or whatever it could be. But it's in that closet. It's, it's hidden from view. It's a place of disorganization. It's a place of chaos. It's a place of secrets. And that's precisely where Jesus says your heavenly father is waiting for you. <laughs> You see, Jesus wants us to go into prayer understanding that there are no secrets with God. There are no mysteries with God. We're not trying to play a game of cat and mouse. What we're invited to instead is a place of real relationship where God receives us just as we are. And we also can behold him just as he is. 
Now, Jesus says, if you go to the inner room, if you pray in the inner room of your life, that deep part of your heart, soul, and mind, which other people cannot see, but everybody inevitably feels, you will receive the reward from your heavenly father in secret. Let's go back to that closet illustration for a moment, if we may. If your closet at home currently is in pristine order, things are put away neatly in canisters that are labeled alphabetically, flowing descendingly from top to bottom, not a speck of dust in your closet, I would stand to guess that the rest of your house is also amazingly presented, clean, and organized. The reward that Jesus is talking about when we go into our inner room, the place where God awaits us and we can find him, is that he will organize the chaos of the inner closet. And if the inner closet of our lives is correctly orientated towards him and around him, then the rest of our lives will similarly be clean, orderly, and presentable. It means in so many ways that you will not feel like you were out of control. You will feel like even though there are unforeseen things in life, there are no accidents or unfortunate circumstances but that everything is a part of God's plan wherein he is speaking to you so that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Jesus also goes to say another thing about prayer. He says that the name of Father is a name that is to be hallowed or holy, now, I know that as many of our youth or children are looking forward to Halloween, that's kind of the cultural reference we put alongside of the word hallowed, but the word is actually, when translated from the Greek, something much more deeper and meaningful. Hagiosteto means different. It means set apart. It means that while we come to God with all of our realities, our sin, our dysfunction, our muck, our ire, we were able to stand alongside a God who is holy. And even though he is holy, he does not reject us, but instead uses his holiness, his hallowness, to inspire our hearts, minds, and souls to a place where we can desire and be inspired to be like him and less like the world. That's why when we talk and we think about the word holy, we're, we're to pause and we're to stop right then and there. We're to think about all the implications of what it means to be in the presence of a holy God. You see, that's why we are taking the Lord's Supper and we're breaking it down into stanza. We, we don't want to just summarily rush part or past any part of this prayer. We want us to reflect on it like we want you to journey with it in your own prayer life. So that when you think of 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It would bring to heart, mind, and soul deep, beautiful reflections within your journey in prayer. This holiness of God is not just something to behold, it's, it's so that you and I might dare to become it. The holiness of God is something that we are supposed to be inspired and, and, and delivered from our sin and our problems so that we can dare to be like, in fact, Jesus Christ himself. The perfect reflection of, of all of holiness, while he was both human, he was also divine. That is the holiness we are to encounter in the inner room. And it's also the reason why you and I are to call Jesus our friend and our guide. Now, let me stop there. And let me ask, where's your inner room? Where's your inner room? Have we found it yet? Is it you driving your car on the way to work when all is quiet? Is it you sitting at the breakfast table alone, before the day begins, is, is that your inner room? Is it here in this sanctuary on, on a Sunday morning? Is it in your, your Sunday school class? Where is your inner room? God waits for you there. And then God pushes you to answer this next question. What would it be like if God was both the Heavenly Father that you wanted and that you needed? As I conclude this sermon, I want to reflect upon another prayer that involves fire. Fortunately, that was not the only time that I almost set something ablaze in life. There was another time that involved fire, and I was much older. It was much more serious. I was 21. And I was a sophomore at Fermi University, and my fraternity was doing an initiation, an initiation at a church just like this one. We were sending our pledges through, and they were to become brothers that night. And we had them all in this room where there were sheets on the wall, and there were candles on the floor. And after the last individual had left that room, a sheet fell from the wall landed on a candle. A brother saw a dim glow underneath the door and he went to open it. And as soon as he did, there was a backdraft and the whole hall was engulfed in flames. We somehow, all 60 to 70 of us, got out of the church, but in the parking lot, we watched in horror as a church went up in flames. I think you can imagine that at that age, all of us feared that life was over. We were, we were going to be arrested. We were going to get kicked out of school. All the money that our parents had invested in us would have been wasted. And so I did something a little bit similar to the first time that I had an incident with fire. And I called my dad called my dad this time. 
I said, Dad, something terrible has happened. He said, what is it? And I told him. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen. He said, son, I don't know what's going to happen either. But I want you to know this. Tomorrow, your mother and I will we'll be there. We'll pick you up. We'll, we'll figure this all out. The first time that I almost set fire to something, I, I feared. I said, dear God, I, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. But this time, the prayer was, dear God, I, I messed up. I need to call my dad. And that's the prayer of Jesus' heart. That's the our father part. Not that, not that we're using just crazy religious words like the hypocrites trying to draw the attention of everybody around us. or Not that we're saying lots of things like the pagans to try to get God's attention, but that in simplistic form, we talk to our dad about where we are, who we are, how we are. And in that space, our father comes to us in the inner room. And he marches with us forward. My dad and mom, they did come the next day. Took me out, took me to supper. Still didn't know what was going to happen. By evidence of the fact that I'm sitting here today as your pastor, I did not go under arrest. Kurt Geibig, as a member of our search committee, I'm sorry that I did not talk about that in our interview. <laughs> sure you can imagine why. But I will say that learning how to pray in that moment, for me, was the igniter to my prayer. Real, authentic, genuine prayer in the inner room of my heart. My father awaited me there. My father received me there. My father walked with me from that day forward. And I can tell you today that your father wants to do the same. No matter who you are or where you are, he's our father. He's not my father. He's our father. He's waiting for you to come and have real, genuine, authentic conversation. No matter the state or status of your life, he will promise to never leave or forsake you. And he will walk with you from that day forward. So now... Answer the second question for me. How would you talk to God if he was the heavenly father that you both wanted and needed? Pray accordingly as we pray now. God, in the inner room, we find you. In the inner room, we seek you of our hearts, minds, and souls. You receive us how we are, we receive you as the holy God that you are. And yet you tell us we can call you our Father. God, you are both the Father we want and need. So we seek you every single hour. We need you every single hour. And in the hope and promise that is yours and yours alone, you will be our reward. We thank you, O oh God, for your life and your mission to us. And now for this, our opportunity to respond to you.
In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you find yourself praying for the first time today. Maybe you would like to continue that journey in a relationship with Jesus Christ or as a member of this church. Whatever your decision is, we invite you to come forward and this our hymn of response. May we stand and may we sing.